me clarity of thought, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit would help me, that would work uh, with me and through me and come upon me, Lord, to be able to help me to say the things that you would have me to say as we look at this passage, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Hosea chapter number 9. And as we've been traveling through the book of Hosea, you know, I don't know about you, but do you ever read a passage, especially as you're going through the prophets, you know, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and you go through those minor prophets, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, uh, what are they, Habakkuk, Sebaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. You know, that, that last stretch there in the Old Testament. Sometimes you read through chapters, and you just kind of think, well, that was nice, you know what I mean? You ever, you ever just, I mean, you ever read, read through a passage and thought to yourself, I'm not really sure what that was about. But uh, sometimes it kind of seems, I guess I'm the only one, I don't know. Maybe, you know. Um, sometimes, you know, you kind of feel like these prophets are just kind of rambling on. And the truth of the matter is, they're not. And God's Word is deep, you know. And I, I was telling my wife as I was studying for this passage, you know. On Sunday, I, uh, you know, I preached twice on Sunday. But on Sunday, I, be, I started to prepare for this night's sermon. And Sunday, I went through the entire book of Hosea. Went through Hosea chapter 9 a few times just to get myself refreshed and acquainted with, with the passage there. And I uh, took Monday off. Tuesday, I began to read it again over and over and over. I took some notes down and started cross-referencing some things. And I'll be honest with you, I, I got to the to Tuesday night and thought to myself, I have no clue what I'm going to say about this chapter. Um, just because sometimes it just seems like, what in the world? And I was looking at it again this morning and thinking and praying. And, and you know, in, in about 15 minutes, the Holy Spirit just opened this passage up to me. Toward the point where I thought, good night, I don't, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to have enough time to preach everything now, you know. It's amazing how God does that. And, you know, I just, I would, I guess I'm saying that to say this, especially some of you guys, you know, don't give up your studying on, on just studying something. You know, God wants to teach you the Bible. And um, you just got to stay at it. But there's a few things I want to, I want to point out to you, and I'm not going to be able to give this passage justice tonight, but I want to just show you a few things. When you look at verse 1 there, it begins with a, uh, uh, an interesting phrase. Bible says, rejoice not. Now, that's interesting because if you know the Bible, and if you've read the Old and the New Testament, you constantly find God telling His people, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. In Nehemiah, he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. In Philippians, go to Philippians real quickly with me. Philippians chapter number 4 in the New Testament. Philippians is the rejoice chapter, uh, uh, the rejoice book of the Bible. I mean, I, uh, multiple, multiple times, I don't, I don't have the times right off the top of my head, but I think... You know, Philippians is not a very large book. It's only four chapters. And I think, I think ten times or over ten times you find the word rejoice in the book of Philippians. And if you look at Philippians chapter number four, you kind of see it uh, very clearly in verse number four. Philippians chapter number four. And you see it very clearly in verse number four. God says, rejoice in the Lord always. Do you see that? It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, you and I might say, rejoice in the Lord always, like, all the time. There's nothing wrong with saying that. That's a good way to say it. But God did not say, rejoice in the Lord always, like, all the time. He said, rejoice in the Lord always, like, your entire life. As you're running that course, as you're going through that entire course, He says, rejoice. And, of course, if you're, if you're rejoicing the, the entire way, then guess what? You're, you're going to be rejoicing always, too. So that's good there. But he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And just to make sure you understand, he says, and again, I say, rejoice. And all throughout the Bible, go back to Hosea, God is telling His people, rejoice. He's telling them, be content. He's telling them, be satisfied. He's telling them, be glad, be happy. But here in Hosea 9, you find God saying something that goes the opposite direction of what we hear Him say most of the time. And he says, Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy. He says, Don't he says, Don't rejoice. The, the word rejoice comes from the word joy. You can see that. He says, Don't have don't rejoice, don't have joy as other people. And I and let me just say this, and I, again I don't have time to develop it because we're gonna look at a lot of passages tonight, but 
Israel was God's chosen people. And, and I don't have time to develop this thought either. But today, God's people, it's the same people as those that believe on Him. And it's the local New Testament church. We are spiritual Israel according to the Bible. If you have questions about that, we can talk about it after the service. I can explain that to you. I don't have time to develop that right now. But let me tell you something. He tells them to, He says, Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy. But then He says this, As other people. And here's what He's trying to say. You're not like other people. And the faster you realize that, the faster uh, you can begin to grow in your Christian life. Sometimes things happen to Christians and you think, well, it's not fair. Why does that happen to me? And it doesn't happen to so-and-so. You've got to remember, you are not the same people as the people out there. We are different. The Bible says we are a peculiar people. We are a holy nation. We are set apart for God. And you think, well, well they're able to get away with it and I'm not able to get away with it. You're not the same as they are. He says, rejoice not, O Israel, for joy, as other people. He says, well, why should I not rejoice? You see the word for there? The word for means because. He says, because thou hast gone a-whoring from thy God. And of course, that's a reference back, if you remember the first few chapters of Hosea, as we dealt there with Hosea and his wife of whoredoms, Gomer, who had gone and committed adultery on him. The picture that that painted of us as God's people going from our God and committing adultery, spiritual adultery on Him. And He says, You've got a whoring from thy God. Notice what He says, Thou hast loved a reward upon every corn floor. Remember, uh, Gomer, she was a whore, is what the Bible calls her. She was a prostitute, and she sold herself for a reward for money. And God says of His people here, He says, You loved a reward more than you loved your God. You loved a reward more than you loved Me. He said, You went a-whoring from My God. Thou hast loved the reward upon every corn floor. Verse 2. And I, I'm, I'm trying to get through this because there's, uh, there's a part in this passage I want to get to. But I don't want to just skip this stuff. Verse 2, He says, The floor... Now remember, you see the word floor there? See the last part of verse 1? The corn floor? Okay, it has to do with that reward. He says, the floor and the wine press shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail in her. Let me just say this. Whatever you, you say, I'm a, you know, you say, I know worldly people, and they go off chasing, you know, their lust, and they go off chasing drugs, and they go off chasing money, and they, and all that stuff brings them joy. It'll never bring you joy. It'll never bring you happiness, because you're not the same as that. There's, there's a new creature in you. There's a new man in you. There is a spiritual man in you. And, and you say, well, in my flesh sometimes I don't want him to write. But there's always, if you're saved, there's always that spiritual man inside of you that desires to do right, that desires to be in God, that desires to hear the Word of God. And hey, and that new man will never, uh, you can go and get all that sin, you can go and live all that, and you will never be satisfied. Amen, Pastor. He says it'll never, he said it'll fail in her. Verse 3. They shall not dwell. Now notice this. They shall not dwell in the Lord's land. Again, another statement that just seems odd. Because if you read the Bible, and you start in the book of Genesis, and you get a few chapters into that, you start reading about a guy named Abraham, who God called out, and from the very beginning, God is promising this man Abraham that He's going to give him a land. He's going to promise him a land. He says, I'm going to give you a, a promised land that you're going to possess. And then from Abraham, it goes to, ja uh, to Isaac, and from Isaac, it goes to Jacob. And the entire story of the Bible, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, the entire story of the Bible is the story of this, God's people, and their conquest, and their seeking, and their, their lives, and their, and their times in this land that God has given them. But, and you got this, you know, over thousands of years, God is promising to give these people a land. And then here you find this, and He says, they shall not, verse 3, they shall not dwell in the, in the Lord's land. Now God is saying, He says, I don't want you to rejoice. He says, and you're not going to live in this land. I mean, the entire book of Joshua is about them conquering this land. The entire book of Judges we're studying is about them living in this land. And then here God says, guess what? You're not going to live in the land anymore. Just a, a, a big change. But Ephraim shall return to Egypt. That's what God called them out of. The entire book of Exodus deals with God bringing them out of Egypt. And God says now you're going to return to Egypt. You're going to go back to where they came from. 
And they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. The entire book of Judges we're studying. It's all about God dealing with them from mixing themselves with the Assyrians and mixing themselves with the Midianites and mixing themselves with the Philistines and mixing themselves with these people in the land that they were not supposed to do. And then here God tells them, you're going to return back to Egypt. Here God tells them, you're going to go eat the unclean things in the Assyrians. You say, what, what is going on? What happened? Throughout the entire Bible, God is telling them to rejoice and be happy. Now He's saying rejoice not. Throughout the entire Bible, God is telling them you're going to possess the land. Now He's telling them you're not going to possess the land. Now He's telling them you will. The entire Bible, God is telling them don't go back to Egypt. Don't go. Egypt's a bad place. And here God says, you're going back to Egypt. What changed? Look at verse 4. They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, neither shall they be pleasing unto Him. Remember we talked about last week? We were created for His pleasure. He says, your offerings and your sacrifices, they are not pleasing unto Him. Their sacrifices shall be unto them as the bread of mourners. All that eat thereof shall be polluted for their bread, for their soul. Look what it says, shall not come into the house of the Lord. The first part of Exodus is about God bringing them up out of Egypt. The entire, entire, almost 15 chapters of the latter end of Exodus is about them building this tabernacle. The book of Leviticus is all about how to do sacrifices in the tabernacle and how to deal with that tabernacle. A lot of the historical books there in Second uh, Samuel and First and Second Kings and Chronicles, it's all about them building this temple for God. A lot of the Bible deals with God's house and because it represents the presence of God with His people. But here God says, last part of verse 4, He says, shall not come into the house of the Lord. Most of the Bible deals with these people getting under their land and God says, you will not be in my land. He said, you will not come into my house. He said, you will go back to Egypt. He said, you will go to Assyria. And you've got to ask the question and think to yourself, you know, this is what you, you're wondering why I was scratching my head and saying, what am I going to say about this? And I'm thinking to myself, God, I spent six months preaching verse by verse through the book of Joshua telling these people that they're supposed to go into that promised land and conquer the land and live a victorious Christian life. He would tell them to go back. We're preaching through the book of Judges and I'm telling our people that they're supposed to kick out the world and kick out the Philistines and conquer that land and not mix themselves. And here you tell them to go back to Egypt. Say, what happened? Look at verse 5. What will you do in the solemn day? And in the day of the feast of the Lord? For lo, they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. Memphis shall bury them. I want you to make note of this phrase. The pleasant places. Do you see that phrase there? The pleasant places for their silver. Nettles shall possess them. Thorns shall be in their tabernacle. Here's what you're going to understand. Number one. Israel had ample opportunity. These people could not stand before God and say, Well, we didn't know. We didn't have a chance. God said you had pleasant places. Do you see that phrase in verse 6? Pleasant places. Look at verse number 13. Same chapter. Hosea chapter 9, look at verse 13. Ephraim, as I saw Tyrus, is planted... Notice, what Ephraim is talking about that the major tribe of that northern kingdom. And, and, and really the word Ephraim is used like Judah to talk about the entire southern kingdom. Ephraim is used to talk about the whole northern kingdom. And God says in verse 13, Ephraim, as I saw Tyrus, is planted in a pleasant place. He says they were planted in a pleasant place. They were in a pleasant place. But Ephraim shall bring forth his children to the murderer. You say, well, why, why do we have to make note of that phrase there, pleasant place? Keep your finger there in Hosea. Go with me to the book of Psalms. And if I were you, I'd, I'd keep my finger or a bulletin or something in the book of Psalms. Because we're going to be going back there a little bit. But go to Psalm 16. Look at verse number 6. I want to show you something. You've got to understand when you study the Bible, nothing in our King James Bible is by coincidence or by mistake. God uses specific words throughout the Bible because He wants us to be able to connect those words and connect those thoughts. And in Psalm 16, if you look at verse... Remember what, what was the phrase we were supposed to remember? The pleasant places. If you look at Psalm 16, verse 6... The psalmist, David said, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Do you see that? 
He said, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. You see that? Now, the psalmist here is talking about as an individual, as a person. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I, he said, that phrase, the lines are fallen unto me. He's, he's saying, I just happened, I was fortunate enough to be able to live in a location. He said, the lines, and he's talking about his family lines, his, his family ties. He says, they were fallen unto me in pleasant places. You say, well, what does that mean? The pleasant places. He says, yay, I have a goodly heritage. See, sometimes people get together, and, and don't misunderstand me, I've preached sermons before about excuses. And God doesn't need your excuses. God doesn't need my excuses. But you know, the Bible does say, uh, uh, to whom much is given, much shall be required. And sometimes we can get together as human beings and, you know, I have the privilege of saying that the lines are falling unto me in pleasant places. I happen to have been born by the good fortune of God into a family that believed the Bible. Into a family that took me to church. Into a family where, where my dad read the Bible to us as kids and, 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 and we had family time and, and we, and we uh, memorized scripture and we went to church together and we went soul winning together and we were faith. Hey, I can say that the lines were fallen unto me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. I had the opportunity to be saved at the age of four years old because God happened to bring me up in a, in a good home. Now, you may not have that testimony. You may say, well, I didn't have that opportunity and I didn't have a goodly heritage and I grew up in a home that didn't uh, love God and then, you know, I didn't go to church again. Maybe that's your testimony and there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, sometimes some people are going to say, and by the way, too much is given, much shall be required. Sometimes people ask me, why, why do you preach and why are you a pastor at such a young age? Because to whom much is given, much shall be required. I don't have the excuse to say, well, I didn't grow up and I didn't know this stuff and I'm learning it now. You know, the lines, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, for me personally, the lines were falling unto me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. Sometimes human beings can say, well, I did not have the opportunities you had and I'm maybe behind a little bit and I'm trying to catch up. But what God is saying, go back to Hosea, to the children of Israel, is that you do not have that excuse. Now he's talking to a nation. But if you personify that nation, the nation of Israel could not go to like the nation of Assyria or Egypt and say, well, you don't understand, I grew up in a bad home. God is telling Israel, you were raised in a goodly heritage. You were given, like we talked about last week, the oracles of God. You had men like Abraham and Moses and the Word of God and the prophets. You had, God is telling these people, you were not raised in a bad home. Israel. He's saying you were raised in pleasant places. You had a goodly heritage. He says you don't have an excuse. Look at verse 7. Hosea chapter 9 verse 7. The days of visitation are come. The days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. The prophet, now here's what he's saying. He's saying you, Israel, were given pleasant places. You were given a goodly heritage. And please don't misunderstand, I, I'm, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying if you weren't raised in a Christian home, there's something wrong with you. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that some of us were given that fortune of being raised. My kids are fortunate to have been raised, that they're going to be raised in a home of, uh, of people that love God. And Israel did not have the excuse... They could not say, well, well, we're like Egypt and we had this pagan history and we had this. No, Israel had a good history. Israel had God and they had the prophets. Look at verse 7. But what did they do with those prophets? The days of visitation are come. The days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. Look what he said. Here's what God is saying. God is saying, God is saying, you were given a goodly heritage. You were given prophets. You were given preachers. But here's how you treated them. Look what he said. The prophet is a fool. God gave him a prophet, and they said, he's a fool. The spiritual man, God gave them a spiritual leader. And they said, the spiritual man is mad. The word mad means he's crazy. For the multitude of thy iniquity and the great hatred. Now here's why I know that these men were actually good men. Look at verse 8, the watchmen. The word watchman is another word used for a, a preacher. Remember, God told Ezekiel the prophet, he said that you're the watchman for the city. 
He said, the watchman of Ephraim, look what it says, was with my God. So the watchman and the prophet and the spiritual man, they walked with God, they had a relationship with God, they preached God's word, but the people would say of them, ah, he's a fool, ah, he's mad, ah, he doesn't, and, and by the way, you don't think people say that today? You don't, be, you don't think people, some of you have done it. Walk out of church on a Sunday night at Barry Baptist Church, get in your car and say, that pastor's a little bit over the top. Yeah, I know he said that. I know he proved it from the Bible. But he's a little crazy, I think. I mean, he's a little, I mean, he's a little too, you know, uh, fanatical. That's what they said about these guys. They said, they're crazy. They're mad. They're insane. They don't know what they're doing. They're, they're preaching about some God. And they're preaching about, they're telling us about our sins. They're telling us about our idolatry. Uh, they're just crazy. They're a little fanatic. God said, you had an opportunity. The lines were followed unto you in pleasant places. He said, I gave you prophets, I gave you spiritual leadership, I gave you spiritual men. He said, but you know what you did with it? Look at verse 9. He says, they have deeply... Now understand this about God. God does not use words as pillars or fluff. When God describes something, He is describing it accurately. He didn't say they have corrupted themselves. He said they have deeply corrupted themselves. God says, you took it to an extreme. God says, you took it very far, very deep. He says they have deeply corrupted themselves. And God gives us an example of how they corrupted themselves. He says, as in the days of Gibeah. He says, you corrupted yourselves like... In the days of Gibeah, therefore, the word therefore means because, because you corrupted yourself, as in the days of Gibeah, the Bible says, He will remember their iniquity, He will visit their sin. God said, I will visit your sin. He said, I will remember your iniquity. He said, I will punish you. He said, I won't let this go, because you corrupted yourself, as in the days of Gibeah. Now you got to ask yourself this question. What happened in the days of Gibeah? Very interesting. Keep your finger there in Hosea. Go to Judges chapter 19. Judges 19. and We're preaching through the book of Judges. And Judges 19 is towards the end of the series there. So uh, we're far enough away from it. So if we preach it again, you probably won't remember. (laughs) But I don't want to spend too much time in Judges because we're preaching through it on Sunday night. But I want you to see this. He says, you have deeply corrupted yourself as in the days of Gibeah. Are you there in Judges 19? Look at verse number 11. Judges chapter number 19. We'll begin reading at verse number 11. The Bible says, And when they were by Jebus, now, I don't have time, I'm already out of time, but I don't have time to develop this. We'll get to it when we get through the book of Judges. But you got to just remember... The context of the story was there was a Levite who had a concubine. You say, what's a concubine? It's a, a slave that he married. So he marries a slave. It's called a concubine. His concubine ran away. He went to chase after her. He finds her at her, at her dad's house. And it's a whole story. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it and, 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 and shortening it up. He goes there. He spends a few nights with her dad there. And he's bringing back his concubine back home. So here in verse 11, they're traveling back home. Look at verse 11. And when they were by Jebus, the day was far spent. And the servant said unto his master, Come, I pray thee, and let us turn in into the city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. So they're traveling. They said, look, the day is far spent. Let's, let's stay here tonight in the city of, of the Jebusites. Verse 12. And his master, that's the Levite, said unto him, We will not turn aside hither into the city of a stranger. So the Jebusites, uh, Jebus will eventually become Jerusalem. And, and, but at this point, it's not it's kind of in transition. So he says, we're not going to stay uh, with strangers or, or foreigners. He said, we're not going to stay in this foreign city. Uh, verse 12, he says, we'll not uh, turn aside hither into the city of strangers. That is, uh, that is not of the children of Israel. We will pass over to Gibeah. You see that word, Gibeah. So he says, we're not going to stay with the Jebusites. They're strangers. They're foreigners. We're going to 
say with the children of Israel, he said, well, let's not get off on this exit here for the city of Jebus. Let's continue on. And when we get to Gibeah, we'll stay there. Look at verse 14. And they passed on and went their way, and the sun went down upon them when they were by Gibeah. So they kept going. They get to Gibeah. The sun goes down, which belongeth to Benjamin. So Gibeah is the city of the tribe of Benjamin. Verse 15. And they turned aside hither to go in and to, to go in and to lodge in Gibeah. So they're going to stay in Gibeah. And when he went in, he sat him down in a street of the city, for there was no man that took them into his house to, lo- uh, to lodge him. So they can't find a place to stay. They're literally going to spend the night on the street because they don't have anywhere to go. Verse 16. And behold, there came an old man from his work out of the field at even, which was also of Mount Ephraim. And he sojourned in Gibeah, but the men of the place were Benjamites. So there's a man there. He's from Ephraim. I don't have time to develop. I'm just going through this quickly. He's from Ephraim, from another tribe, but he's living in Gibeah. He comes from his word. He sees this guy, verse 17. And when he had lifted up his eyes, he saw the wayfaring man in the street of the city. And the old man said, Whither goest thou, and whence comest thou? So he says, Whither, talking about where are you going, and whence, talking about where did you come from. He said, Where are you going, and where did you come from? Verse 18. And he said unto him, We are passing from Bethlehem, Judah, toward the side of Mount Ephraim. From thence am I, and I went to Bethlehem, Judah, but I am now going to the house of the Lord, and there is no man that receiveth me to house. Yet there is both straw and provender for our asses, and there is bread and wine also for me, and for thy handmaid, and for the young men which is with thy servant. There is no want of anything. He says, look, I don't need anything. I just need a place to stay for the night. He said, I have no food. I have everything I need. I just need a place to lay down with a roof. Verse 20. And the old man said, peace be with thee. However, let all thy wants lie upon me. The old man saying, it doesn't really matter. If you have what you need, whatever you need, I'll take care of it. He says, just please do me a favor. Look what he says, last part of verse 20. Only lodge not in the street. He says, don't stay in the street. He says, even if you didn't have anything, please come on with me. Don't stay on the street. Now this guy knows something that this traveling guy doesn't know. He says, you do not want to stay on the streets in this city. What happened? Verse 21. So he brought him into his house. And gave provender unto the asses, and they washed their feet, and they'd eat and drink. Now as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, remember uh, we've learned about Belial, or Beelzebub, and uh, Baal, and all those gods, those were all Satan, it's all the devil. And the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, sons of Satan, we set the house round about, and beat at the door, and spake to the master of the house, the old man, saying, look what they said. So you, does this sound familiar? We're in Judges 19, but does this remind you of a story in Genesis 19? So you got these sons of Belial, they're around the entire house, they're pounding at the door, here's what they're saying. Bring forth the man that came into thine house, that we may know him. Now the word know there is not like we want to, you know, introduce ourselves and get to know him like you and I would think. The word know there is like when the Bible says that Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. Okay? It's talking about a physical relation. These men are saying, hey, we saw some guy go into your house. Bring him out so that we may know him. You see, I don't think that's what it's talking about. Keep reading. It'll become very clear. Verse 23. This is one of the most offensive Chapters, I think, in all of Scripture. You say, why are you reading? Because this is the Word of God, and the words of God are pure. But God wants us to understand this, and He gives us this picture. And in Hosea, He says, today you are as bad as in the days of Gibeah. So you've got to ask the question, what was so bad about the days of Gibeah? Well, number one, there's open sodomy. Look at verse 3. And the men... The master of the house went out unto them and said unto them, Nay, my brethren, nay, I pray you, do not so wickedly. So see, they're wanting to do something wicked because they just want to meet him. That wouldn't be a problem. He said, do not so wickedly, seeing that this man is coming to mine house, do not this folly. Don't do this. This man, he's traveling. Don't, Don't do this. Verse 24. Does this remind you of? It's interesting. Because in Genesis 19, you have the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Judges 19, you have the story of this man in Gibeah. Seems like 19 is a number that God likes to use to expose the Sodomites. And by the way, let me just say this. God gives us everything we need to know in the Scripture. 
Today people say, well, well, I know this guy, and he's a sodomite, and he's funny, and he's flamboyant, and he's such a nice guy. I would submit to you that in Scripture, the only reference you see to sodomites is always a negative one. They're always abusing someone. They're always hurting someone. You don't see a nice sodomite in the Bible. You say, well, what are we supposed to talk about? It must be that God wants us to know one thing about them. They're bad people. So I can't believe you would say that, but I saw them on TV. The TV lies. The Word of God doesn't. Verse 24, Behold, notice what he says. Does this remind you of Lot? Behold, here is my daughter, a maiden, and his concubine. The word maiden means virgin. This guy says, here's my daughter, she's a virgin, she's a maiden. And his concubine, them will I bring out now, and humble ye them. Another reference to a physical relationship. And do with them what seemeth good unto you, but unto this man do not so vile a thing. He says, look, don't do this to him. Here, here, have my, have my daughter, and here, have his concubine. Now that's wicked in and of itself. That ought to teach you something about their society. Even the good guys thought, well, no, well, don't do that to them. Here, just take my daughter. In good night, you think you'd, you know, lock the door, take out a shotgun and say, you know, I don't know they didn't have shotguns at this time, but you think you'd fight a little bit. Amen. This guy's saying, here, take my daughter, do what you want. Humble them. Do what seemeth good unto you. But unto this man, do not so vile thing. Even the right, the so-called righteous people in the city think that this is okay. Verse 25. But the man would not hearken to him. So the man took his concubine and brought her forth unto them, and they knew her. Okay? Remember, they wanted to know him. So this guy pretty much throws his concubine out there, locks the door. Look what it says, verse 25. But the man would not hearken to him, so the man took his concubine and brought her forth unto them, and they knew her and abused her all the night until the morning, and when the day began to spring, they let her go like the cockroaches they are. When the light comes up, they spread away. Verse 26. Then came the woman in the dawning of the day, and fell down at the door of the man's house where her Lord was till it was light. So this woman staggers and stumbles to the front door. Verse 27. And her Lord rose up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. And behold, the woman his concubine was fallen down at the door of the house and her bands were <coughs> upon the threshold. Her hands were upon the threshold. And he said unto her, Up and let us be going. But none answered. Then the man took her upon an ass. So she's dead. They abused her till she died. The man took her up upon an ass. And the man rose up and got him unto his place. And when he was come into his house, he took a knife. And laid a hole on his concubine and divided her together with her bones. Into twelve pieces and sent her into the coast of Israel. And it was so that all that saw it said, notice what they said. They said there was no such deed done nor seen from the day that the children of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt unto this day. Consider it and take advice and speak your minds. Here's what I'm trying to explain to you. And the only reason we read the story is because it's referenced in Hosea. God says to Hosea, the people today are like the days of Gibeah. You say, what happened in Gibeah? Gibeah, you had open sodomy. Gibeah, you had people being abused, being raped, being murdered. Gibeah, you have a man cutting up the concubine, cutting her into pieces, sending her off. And these people are like, man, we've never seen. Look at verse 30, Judges chapter 19, verse 30. And it was so that all that saw it said, there was no such deed done, nor seen from the day that the children of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt. They said, we have never seen anything like this. We've never seen such violence. We've never seen, you know, somebody cut up and sent up. We've never seen that. They said, this was awful. And if you go back to Hosea, God says, your society is like this society. And here's what's interesting to me, and I want to—I got to—I I, got to be done here in a few minutes, but I, I got more I want to show you. But you know what's interesting to me is that if I was to go home and look up the news on the internet, if you were to go home and turn on the nightly news, you know that if you heard of open sodomy, it wouldn't be that—it oh, wouldn't be that out of place. If you heard on the news of a woman being raped and killed, you probably wouldn't even blink at it. 
If a news came out that someone had cut up a woman into little pieces, you might feel bad and say, wow, I can't believe they did that. But it really wouldn't be like, wow, that is unheard of. Because that happens in our society all the time. God said to these people, the amount of violence, the amount of sodomy, the amount of rape and murder that happens, He says in your city, look at verse 9, Hosea chapter 9, verse 9, they have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. And what scares me is this, when I go back and read the account of the days of Gibeah, it sounds like the nightly news. It sounds like the local newspaper. The things that are happening here that God said, you have taken it too far. To us, it's normal in our society. What must God think about us? Therefore, He will remember their iniquity, He will visit their sins. I want you to notice this and. If, if I take a little longer to develop this, I apologize. It's 8.04. Usually we're done at 8.15. I'm going to try to be done in the next 10 minutes. But I, I, I want you to see this. Look at verse 10. There's more. He says, My first issue is that you have corrupted yourself as in the days of Gibeah. Verse 10. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers at the first ripe in the fig tree of her first time. But they went to Baal Peor. Okay, then again, we have a God. A false god, Baal Peor, and separated themselves unto the shame, and their abominations were according as they loved. Now, again, you see how they loved something other than God? So they went to Baal Peor, and they separated themselves unto that shame, unto the shame of Baal Peor, and their abominations were according as they loved, according to the love that they had for Baal Peor. Now you may ask, well, what's the big deal with Baal Peor? I don't have time to go there uh, right now, but if you want to just write this down, Numbers 25, you will find that the children of Israel went to Baal Peor, and what did they do when they began to worship Baal Peor? They began to have open fornication in the camp. Remember, God's response was to send a curse and send, and He began to kill them off. Remember that, uh, if you remember that famous story there, Moses and Aaron and the priests get together, literally bow down in front of the, the tabernacle there and begin to weep and ask God to forgive the people of their sins of fornication. If you remember the story, remember a man took a Midianite woman in front of, as Moses and, and Aaron and the leaders there, they're praying to God to forgive him. This guy goes, with her in front of a man of God Moses as he prayed for God to forgive him. I mean, isn't that wicked? Do you remember what Phinehas did? The son of Aaron? He said, I'm done with this prayer thing. He got up and took a spear, the Bible says. He went into that tabernacle and he thrusted it in through the back of the man and the woman's belly as they're committing the sin of fornication. He killed them in the spot. And the Bible says that that is the only thing that brought pleasure to God and God relieved His curse. But what brought that about? They were worshipping this God Baal Peor. Out of all the idols, Baal Peor is probably the most vile. But let me show you something else about Baal Peor that's even worse than that. And by the way, let me tell you this. There aren't many sins. Go to, go to Psalm 106. There aren't many sins in the Bible. That, there's, a, I mean, there's a lot of sins in the Bible. But there are not many sins in the Bible that God punished a, a nation for with destruction and judgment. But you know what sins He did punish a nation for with destruction and judgment? Sodomy. You know what sins He did destroy a nation for? Fornication. You know what other sins he did? Let me show you another one. Are you there in Psalm 106? This has to do with Baal Peor. Psalm 106. Look at verse 28. Psalm 106, verse 28. They joined themselves... And by the way, let me ask you this. Sodomy is prevalent. Rape is prevalent. Murder is prevalent. You know what else is prevalent in America? Fornication is prevalent. Physical relationship outside of marriage is prevalent in America. Look at verse 28. Are you there in Psalm 106? Verse 28. They joined themselves also unto Baal Peor. Now we're reading about what happened in, in, in Deuteronomy 25. Okay? They joined themselves. You study that on your own. But here there's another commentary about that event. They joined themselves also unto Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. So not only... Because Deuteronomy 25 makes it very clear that they were living in fornication and committing fornication. I'm sorry, Numbers 25. But here God tells us in other commentary, look what it says. They ate the sacrifices of the dead. So they were sacrificing human beings and then they were eating them. Look at verse... 
29. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions. And the plague break in upon them. Remember that? Verse 30. Then stood up Phinehas, remember I told you about him, and executed judgment, and so the plague was stayed. How did he execute judgment? He killed that man and the woman in the very act. He says, look, you're an, I like Phinehas. He's, he's a good uh, assistant pastor to have. You know what I mean? He's like, you're not going to disrespect my pastor Moses. He's on his knees, on the, on the ground, praying for God to forgive. And you're going to go and commit fornication just right in front of him like it's no big deal? He says, I'm going to kill you right now. I like a guy like Phinehas. The Bible says, the zeal of the Lord. He had the zeal. Verse 30, Then stood up Phinehas and executed judgment, and so the plague was stayed. And that was counted unto him for righteousness. It was a good thing. Unto all generations forevermore. Verse 32, They angered him also at the waters of strife, and so, it was, uh, and, and so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes, because they provoked his spirit, so that he spake... At, Unadversely with his lips, they did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. That's what we're studying in Judges, verse 36. And they served their idols and were a snare unto them. Notice what else they did, verse 37. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. They were worshiping Baal Peor and they were killing their own children. Sacrificing their children to devils, verse 38. And shed innocent blood. Even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works, and went to whoring with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against His people, insomuch that He abhorred His own inheritance. God said, I... The word abhor means He hated His own inheritance. Who was His inheritance? The children of Israel. He said, I hated my own people. Because of what they were doing. Go back to Hosea. I want you to see how this connects. Baal Peor, right? That's what they were worshipping. What were they doing? They were in fornication. What were they doing? They were uh, uh, sacrificing children. Look at verse Hosea chapter 9, verse 10. God is telling them what you have done that has caused me to do this. Verse 10. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as a first ripe in the fig tree of her first time. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves unto that shame. And their abominations were according as they loved. Now notice, God is going to teach us something. Verse 11. As Remember, what did they do in Psalm 19? What were they doing? They were sacrificing their children, right? They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to devils. Verse 11. And for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird. Notice this. From the birth, and from the womb, and from the conception. You see that? By the way, this is a good proof text. You want to prove to someone that life begins at conception? God says the birth, God says the womb, God says the conception. He says you end life after birth, it's just like ending life in the womb. Because when you end life at conception, you've ended a human being's life. And I don't have time to develop this. If you want to write this down on your own, Isaiah 7.14, Matthew 1.23. Isaiah 7.14, Matthew 1.23. Isaiah 7.14 says that Mary, it's a prophecy of Mary, it says she conceived, see, she conceived a child. It uses the word conceive. And then in Matthew, that same verse is quoted, but it uses the word child. So God says, in the Old Testament, He said she conceived. In the New Testament, He said she had a child. Why? Because when you have conception, you have a child. And he says, As Ephraim their glory shall fly away like a bird from the birth and from the womb and from the conception. He says, He says, You have children, but notice verse 12, Though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them, and there shall not be a man left. Yea, woe also to them when I depart uh, from them. When I depart from them. Do you see that? God is saying, I'm going to depart from my people. Verse 13, Ephraim, I saw Tyrus is planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim shall bring forth his children to the Murderer. Do you see that? Why? Because they're worshipping Baal Peel. They're sacrificing their children. But you know what? God knew that in 2013 we would be preaching through the book of Hosea. And He said, you know, it's bad enough to, to kill a child after they are born. But He says, I'm going to make sure you understand that from the birth and from the womb and from the conception. And you know, today, you say, those people were sacrificing their own children. Today, at the tune of 3 million children a day are being aborted. And murder. You say on the altar of what? On the altar of some woman's job. On the altar of lust. On the altar of convenience. On the altar of, well, I'm not ready. You're not ready to have a child? Maybe she ought not be doing the act. Maybe you ought to get married. 
God says, there are certain sins I cannot forgive. You gotta understand this. We're, talking, we're dealing with a nation here. I, I mean, I wish I had time to develop this. I don't. But we have gone through, and if you want to talk to, this, to me about this after service, I'd be more than happy to. We have preached many sermons through Romans chapter 1 and different passages. And we've talked extensively about the fact that God is the God of the first chance and the second chance and the third chance. But you know what? God reveals Himself to mankind. And if man continues to reject and continues to reject and continues to reject, eventually God rejects that person. And that's called, He gives him over to a reprobate mind. Jeremiah tells us that reprobate silver shall men call them because the Lord hath rejected them. But you know what? In the same way that God rejects men when they reject God, God eventually rejects nations. Right. See, the nation of Israel had all the opportunity. They were given; ple- they were in pleasant places. The lines were falling onto them in pleasant places. God gave them profit. God gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. But you know what? God said, eventually you took it too far. Eventually you not only corrupted yourself, you deeply corrupted yourself. He said, when I looked out at you, it was like the days of Gibeah, when the Sodomites were roaming around, when they were out of the closet, when they were free, when people were being raped and murdered and cut up. He said, he said I, I, I looked at my people and they were in fornication. He said, I looked at my people and they were killing their own children. And he, and let me just say this. And again, I, I, wish I, I wish I had time to develop this. But you know, today even Christians are killing their children. You, just let me give you a homework assignment, but there are certain birth control pills that end life after conception. And if you end life after conception, from the womb, from the conception, you say, oh, no, it's supposed to prevent pregnancy. You read the fine print, there are certain birth control pills that end life after conception, and that is just like an abortion. God looks down on our nation and sees sodomites running around. God looks down on our nation and sees violence and rape. God looks at our nation and sees His own people committing fornication. He sees His own people murdering their children on the altar of convenience, on the altar of, I just wanted to. Look at verse 13. Ephraim, as I saw Tyrus, was planted in a pleasant place. He says, you had your opportunity. And by the way, you have your opportunity. There are not many churches like Verity Baptist Church. I'm not saying that to lift myself. By the grace of God, God allows me to pastor this church. But there are not many churches that preach the Bible like you're listening to right now. He said, they were given and planted in pleasant places. But Ephraim shall bring forth his children to the murderer. Now notice what God says, verse 14. Well, this is, I'm sorry, Hosea. Hosea doesn't even know what to say. He says, give them, O Lord, what will thou give? Give them a miscarrying womb and a dry breast. It's a sad statement when, when the man of God begins to pray. God, will you, just, will you just pray that they won't even have children so that they don't kill them? Verse 15. Notice what God says. All their wickedness. Have we, made a, have we done a pretty good job of explaining what the wickedness he's referring to here? All their wickedness is in Gilgal. Now Gilgal, again. Remember Gilgal in the book of Joshua? Gilgal is a place of revival. Gilgal was where God met with them. Gilgal was that, remember that was at headquarters? They would go out and fight a battle and they'd always come back to Gilgal. They'd come back to Gilgal. Gilgal's where they set up the monuments. Gilgal's where they set up the memorials. Gilgal should have been a place where they went there and it reminded them about God. But God says there, all their wickedness is in Gilgal. Their fornication is in Gilgal. Their killing children is in Gilgal. He says, in the place where I made myself real to you, that's where you're doing it? He says, all their wickedness is in Gilgal. Now notice what God says. For there I hated them. Well, Pastor, God doesn't hate anybody. Well, then you explain that verse to me. Well, I've been going to church my whole life, and I've been to all these liberal churches, and they always tell me that God loves everybody. No matter what you do, He never gets upset. He's like Santa Claus. He's always happy. God loves everyone. God says, no, I hated them. Look at verse 15. All their wickedness is in Gilgal, for there I hated them. For Why did he hate them? For the wickedness of their doings. I will drive them out of my house. God says, I don't want them in my house. He says, I don't want them in my land. He says, I don't ever want to see them again. He said, I hated them. And just to make sure you understand, he says, I will love them no more. God loves everyone all the time. I can live in fornication. I can have an abortion. I can go have my son and my friend. I can watch all the filth I want on TV. And God's always going to accept me. God's 
you're saved, you'll always, you'll always be saved. But let me tell you something. God doesn't love everyone. God hated these people. And He says, I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. Ephraim is smitten, the root is dried up, they shall bear no fruit. Yea, though they bring forth, yet will I slave in the beloved of their fruit, uh, of their womb. Look at verse 17, this is God speaking about His people. My God will cast them away. He's going to throw them away. Because they did not hearken unto Him. They didn't listen to what He had to say. And they shall be wanderers among the nations. Does that not describe the nation of Israel today? And they shall be wanderers among the nations. See, God is not always the God of the fifth, sixth, thousandth chance. You know, as I look at our society, I think, God, if you felt this way about these people, how must you feel about us? And you know, I can't worry about those people. I have no control over what they do. But in God's house, we better take a strong stand against the queers. In God's house, we better take a strong stand against fornication. In God's house, we better take a strong stand against these birth control pills that end life after conception and abortion. And we better take a strong stand and realize that there are things that God says, you cross the line. As a nation, He says, you cross the line. And you know, the truth of the matter is, I believe America has crossed that line. So what do we do, Pastor? Try to get as many people saved as we can before God judges us. But judgment is coming. If He did it to His people Israel, why would He not do it to us? See, are you saying this to try to scare him? No, I'm, I'm saying this because we're in, judge, in Hosea chapter 9. Guess what? Next week we'll be in Hosea chapter 10. But you know what? God draws a very clear line here and says these people took it too far. And you know, I'm afraid that we have taken it too far. And you know who's to fault? These people had preachers and they wouldn't listen to them. The sad part is we have a whole lot of preachers that don't even want to preach and we got to take a stand, a strong stand. You say, well, when you do that, people are going to think you're mad. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you're a fool. That's okay. You stand with God, and you realize that God said these things. And God doesn't just love everyone for everything they do. No, sometimes they cross the line, and God says, I hated them. He says, I will love them no more. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. And Lord, I ask that you would please help us to realize that these passages are in Scripture for a reason. And God, you want us to get an accurate picture. See, the picture we get from most churches is, is it's a fairy tale. It's not true. The God of the Bible is a very different God. He expects certain things. He wants certain things. And He won't put up with certain things. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be the type of people that would love you. Lord, help us to get the sin out of our lives. In your precious name I pray. Amen.